0: I never expected to see in New York City such a wonderful wilderness as the beach. You might not think of the beach as a wilderness. But in fact, it is a wilderness because it's this vast open space. And when you come to sit at that spot, at first your eyes, well, we go inward, we but even if you open your eyes, there isn't much to look at. It's, it's a lot of repetition. There's the sky and the water, and the sky and the water. I spent many years living next to the sea and seeing the same thing over and over again. So it brought all that back. Very nice to feel that again. And what it reminds me of is our inner journey. Because when we are journeying inward, we come to the edge. We come to the edge of our world. And at the edge, we have to face ourselves as we really are. Because there's nothing much behind that. In fact, in truth, there's nothing behind that. But we create a lot. And meditation has the ability to bring us to the edge. Do any of you find that? Do you come to a place where you don't know what's beyond? It seems dark, or it seems mysterious, or it seems vast, or it seems unreachable, impenetrable. Or it seems very free very spacious, full of light, full of freedom. These are various things that we can experience when we meditate. I wonder if anybody has been to the inner beach. Do you go in there sometimes? So there are some qualities that are good to develop for us to be able to experience that ability to come to the edge from within and um, what, was, what was I supposed to talk about today? Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, uh, it's called True Radical oh, True Radical, Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Before I tell about the qualities which I wasn't supposed to talk about there's a very nice quotation from somebody named Guillaume this is his quote, I don't remember his last name but there was another man that was born a hundred years after him who claims to have said the same thing, I believe the first one he must have said it first he said he was a teacher and he said to his students, come to the edge and they said, it's too high we're scared Come to the edge. We can't. We'll fall down. Come to the edge. We're too terrified. Come to the edge, the Master said. So they came. He pushed them, and they flew. That's us. We are so scared to come to the edge. But if we come to the edge of our world, our inner created world, then the chance for us to fly, to be free, to be joyful, to come to the truth is so great. And I think that's why we're all here. All of us come to the shrine. Whatever kind of a shrine you make it, you make it sacred. We make it the edge, away from the world as we know it, away from the things that we think support us, away from the world that comforts us or gratifies us in a superficial way that doesn't really bring us a sense of joy, a sense of well-being which can last. That's why it's really important that we do come to the edge. And we have to be shown. To begin with, we have to be shown. And then we learn how to do it. I thought it was going to be a short walk to the beach. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it, it was. It's only a short walk, isn't it? But to be mindful with every step, to really pay attention it can feel like a much longer walk and then if the sun is beating down and any o- other obstacles are coming up fatigue or a disability then it's a long walk but the walk to the edge is is long and we can't think well it's just you know it's just going down to the beach it could take us lifetimes But for myself, I've made a commitment to do it. Yeah, and just to keep doing it, it doesn't matter how long it takes. It matters that we're headed there. We're going. We're on the way. And that takes a lot of trust. It takes faith. All of you have been here before. Some of you have been here before. It takes a lot of faith to come to a place you've never been to, sign up to stay overnight, and get fed, and who's (coughs) going to be there, and what what will they make me do? (laughs) Feed the chickens, feed the cat, wash the toilet, and go to the edge of the beach. One of the qualities that is really important after we have enough trust to come to come and and see where the edge might be is uh, the quality of generosity. So you're trusting outer conditions. That's a generosity of mind. But you're also trusting your ability to go through with that. And that's a generosity of heart to yourself. It's a gift. You're testing your courage. Normally we think of generosity as, what am I going to get for my birthday? Are people going to give me something nice? Or when you want to give somebody a give. You, do you give them something nice, or do you just pull something out of your cupboard that you don't want? <laughs> there are different levels of generosity. And... The generosity that gives you real joy, and you can test this, is if you give the best that you possibly can. The best. Maybe even something better than you would give yourself. When I was a young nun, we used to have a special event or a special day in the life of one of the community, and we would all pitch in and give a little gift. So we didn't have very much to give. I'll never forget there was a nun. She had come to visit, and she brought some gifts to our tea party. We had this little gathering for this person, and she gave everybody a gift. And these gifts were wrapped up in nice paper And she put a gift in front of each of us. And I remember thinking, well, it's not, this isn't my party, it's not, why are we all getting a gift? But it was such a lovely thing to do. And then each of us opened it, and each of us had been given a piece of fruit, like an apple, just wrapped up. Of course, we don't eat in the afternoon, but she didn't know that. And I thought it was such a lovely thing to do. She just wanted to give us something, and she wrapped it up nicely, and everybody got a gift, even if it wasn't your birthday or your ordination anniversary or it wasn't a special holiday. It was just, I'd like to give you something. So that was the teaching. So then I learned from that, it's nice to give... Even something that it's innocuous. So you get an apple. But the way that it's given was quite beautiful. Sometimes in the monastery people give you things and you have too much. So then you can share. But I would always be interested to see their reaction. I wanted them to know it was for me. I was kind of sharing. And then one day, it came to me, what if I just left something outside the door of the person that I wanted to give a gift to? And I didn't leave a card. I didn't say who it was from. What would that feel like? So I tried that, anonymous giving. And I noticed that it was a lot more fun. It brought a lot of joy. I wanted to see a reaction and I saw there's a kind of... Sometimes there can be a tinge of selfishness. You want to know that they liked it. You want to make them happy. Well, it's not selfish to want somebody to be happy. And in fact, the joy of giving is contagious because when somebody else is happy, then it makes you happy. Giving is perfected by your virtue. So if you give with an unselfish heart, that makes your gift, your generosity, even greater. And the same is true of virtue. Virtue is perfected by generosity. Virtue creates a great field of generosity in and of itself. And we talked about yesterday in terms of the precepts. um, These are like rules of training. You might not think that you've come here to train, but every time you appear in front of the shrine, closer to the edge, closer to the place where you can't predict what's going to happen, you have to give up control. You have to let go of something then you're giving, but you're also creating a place of strength for goodness to arise. So you took precepts not to kill any living thing. That's a blessing. Why? Because all the precepts create a field of safety for ourselves and others. So virtue is in itself a gift on so many levels. It's a gift to the world, but it really is a gift to us. And we begin to notice that when we're doing things that bring us a feeling of well-being. What does it feel like when somebody shouts at you? Just a few minutes ago, I heard some shouting on the street. What is that sound? Is it pleasant or unpleasant? It's unpleasant. And what does it feel like when you're shouting to yourself? Is that pleasant or unpleasant? It's not so pleasant. So the meditation practice, coming to the edge, is a way of listening and examining our condition. Are we healthy or not? Are we suffering or not? Are we creating suffering around us or not? The truth of the matter is that if we are taking care of ourselves, then we're taking care not just of our bodies. This is not who we are. That's a whole other story. But really the care that we need to take of our, is of our minds. And without virtue, it's impossible to care for the mind. So that's why it's really important that we take precepts before we meditate. And we keep them while we meditate. And we try to follow them when the meditation is over. Because really, this practice is not just at Rockaway Summerhouse or at a meditation retreat, wherever it might be, or at your shrine in a room in your home somewhere. But the shrine that we have to develop and realize is within us. In in our own hearts is that vast, beautiful space. We don't have to walk to the beach to find it. It's here within us. And it grows as we develop precepts, as we develop a purity of heart, an understanding of the connection between generosity, virtue, and clarity, inner clarity, inner beauty, inner joy, inner blessing. So coming here, taking these precepts, you're not as free to do things as you normally might be. That's another quality to develop, the quality of renunciation enhances, adorns, makes even more beautiful the quality of virtue. It might not feel like that today, but over time you begin to see. You might think, well, why do I have to give things up? Actually, when you take precepts, you have to give things up. You have to give up a sense of I have a right to shout if I'm upset. Or I have a right to criticize somebody if I don't like them. Or if I don't like what they're doing. But if we restrain our speech and our actions and even our thoughts so that we're spreading goodwill, that's giving up these rights that we believe in. That's a form of renunciation. You're not handcuffed. You're not in jail. You're actually free. You're free to choose that which supports the best in you. You're free to choose that which will make people attracted to you. It's not the earrings and the clothes and the makeup and the hairdo. It's not the money and the power and the fame, or whatever people think will attract others to them. It's that, the goodness. The ability to trust someone fully. I guess a lot of you are pretty young, but death comes unexpectedly. We never know when it's going to happen. But I think about death quite a lot. It's very helpful. That's one way of coming to the edge daily is to contemplate dying. You don't have to even go that far, you can contemplate being sick. Anybody here never been sick? When you're sick, who would you like to have with you? When you're upset, who do you want with you? When you're depressed, who do you want to be around? somebody that will bring your spirits up, somebody that will make you feel well in yourself. And that well-being comes from a quality of loving-kindness, compassion, joyfulness, someone that you really trust. This is why it's really important to develop within us a field of goodness, If we have that, we will attract goodness to us. Not always. But when we don't, we can actually help that. We can help the other person to change. I remember once I was with a friend. This is a very long time ago. It was late at night, and we were walking down the sidewalk. And some guy came along, and he Grab my friend and he started to hit him and I said don't do that please don't do that but he ignored me so I said please please don't hit him he's sick and then this man stopped and looked at me and he let him go and I, I realized that as soon as I said he's sick it made this person he was probably drunk or something and he wanted money for sure but somehow it touched his heart to think well the guy's sick I'll leave him alone that wouldn't always work either so what we have to do is if we create a field of goodness of goodwill of forgiveness for any human being that comes towards us no matter what they do they can't really harm us they might kill us but they won't really harm us the goodness within our hearts. That might be a difficult thing to accept, but that's radical truth. To be truly radical for the truth is to be willing to die for it. That's the kind of renunciation that this path requires for it to be consummated, perfected truly develop. there has to be a level of giving up that we would we would die for the truth we wouldn't violate our virtue for anything and it comes to a point where your love of virtue is so extreme that you become a radical an extreme radical I'm a radical people think so anyway because I dress like this when I first became a nun my father said to me why do you have to do it in such an extreme way why do you have to be a Theravada nun why can't you be a Tibetan nun because they eat dinner in the afternoon (laughs) I said, mom I like this tradition he was my big supporter the most important thing That we have to die to is the anger within us so that if we learn to do that if we can let the anger die if we can let our ill will die, our hostility our lack of care for ourselves and others then we start to come to the edge we come to the edge of our freedom from anger our freedom from hatred, our freedom from ill-will. This is a big deal. That's not what the world is telling us to go for. The world is saying what? The world is saying, be rich, be beautiful, be young and happy. What is happy? Be famous, be powerful. That's what you need. But actually, the things that the world offers, people who become rich become very scared. People who are powerful are very fearful. And they can use their power so unskillfully. I'm not saying everyone who's powerful, but the really powerful person Makes no claim to power, has the power of truth. That's what they have. Only that kind of person could actually sit in front of a terrorist and say, May you be well, may you be happy, may you be peaceful. That's what my teacher did in India when he was shot. He was worried about the guy who shot him, not himself. That's real compassion. And I felt that he was teaching me to copy him. Can I be ready to die with that kind of compassion in my heart from the man or the person who... It's funny I didn't say, woman. women also kill people. He's about to slit my throat or, or shoot me down. We live in such a violent world and disarmament comes not from armament. And those are one of the most beautiful sayings in the Buddha's teachings. Hatred can never be overcome by hatred, but through love alone. And look at the world as an example of how that doesn't work. But it's true for us as well. If you have an argument with someone and you just go back and forth, you're right. You know, you think you're right. You're wrong. I'm right. No, you're wrong. I'm right. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't end. This is how people strangle each other. They kill each other. They break up their families. They trade their kids off. They cheat on each other. This is for a complete lack of any sense of the power and beauty of virtue. So over just a sense of self, a sense of me and mine, what belongs to me and what, be- what is mine, People can come to such a point of violence. But if we give that up, by just giving that up, be generous, be kind, be gentle, we can create so much trust and safety for each other. So therefore, in our meditation practice, virtue is the development of this silent space within us, silent and empty of hatred, empty of ill will, empty of any wish to harm any living being. And then you turn that into a determination. I shall not harm anyone. I will grow harmless. By growing harmless, we become more and more pure. The mind its like polishing. We become stainless, we become fearless, we become powerful. People might still hate us, but we try not to bear hatred to anyone else. So while I was walking to the beach, I was doing these these chanting, these phrases in my mind of these qualities in Pali dana sila like that you know these words dana dana means generosity sila means virtue then nekama nekama means renunciation then panya is wisdom because when you start to meditate and come to the edge and clear your heart and create this space just like the space at the beach. It's a fast, open, beautiful space where you can sit and listen to those beautiful... What are they called? Plover? Mm -hmm. Plovers. Those birds with the little orange beak. And then when when you do that, you grow wise. You start to become wise to what is good, what is true, what is pure in this world. Panya. And beyond then, what perfects Panya is effort. But it isn't just the effort to do this for one hour or one day. Whole life. Like commitment. Until we, why not? What are you committed to in your life? You want to be happy? Where is that? (laughs) Where is that happiness? Is it in that? Is it at the address you live in? Is it at work? Is it being with a certain person? Or is it something within your heart? So the commitment to being happy, we have to explore that. How can I really be happy? What will make me happy? When I was uh, going through my um, 20s, 30s, well, I started in my 20s, but I couldn't find happiness in any worldly thing. And I can now say that I'm a happy person. And I, I really don't have much. In fact, I'm getting less and less all the time. So, losing my teeth, my hearing. But the heart, there's, there's a happiness. It's not out in the world. It doesn't mean you all have to be a monk or a nun. But why not? Anyway, check it out. (laughs) I've said enough. um (laughs) There's ten nice qualities to talk about, and um, you just think of your ten fingers or your ten toes, and any time you walk to the beach, or wherever you happen to walk, just remember that you have ten fingers or ten toes, and count them. Count. Or learn them in English, and then I'll tell you the others later. But they're also beautiful qualities. Patience. Truthfulness, we already talked about. Determination. Don't give up, even if you have to die. On the way back, I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just hot. I'm an old lady. <laughs> the body is, yeah. <laughs> and then meta. The quality of goodwill, this is ah, this is such a sublime quality. And what does it lead to? It leads to the perfection of equanimity. That's like the mind is unruffled. It doesn't matter if you're going to die. It just doesn't. because there's joy. It's not the body that, that the heart is joyful. The body's anyway death bound, isn't it? Do you, do you know anybody who's died? Is there anyone here who's never lost someone they love? Well, then you all know what I'm saying. It's all impermanent. So don't hang on too tight because it's slipping away between your fingers your ten fingers and your ten toes, it's going. But what you can catch is the joy, the wisdom, the beauty of heart, that you can learn, you can come close to, you can be completely an embodiment of that in your heart. And the body just goes to the elements, peacefully, as it must, as it should. That's its job. I had a wonderful friend... You have to stop me soon, because I'll just keep going. But this one little... I had a wonderful friend named Ruth, who... She had uh, multiple sclerosis for 14 years, and then she got breast cancer. So she died quite young age, but she was such a trooper, she really understood the plot. (laughs) <laughs> she was the most long-lived patient they'd ever had at hospice. And I came to see her a few times. The last time I saw her, she was sitting in her bed, and completely, completely like, all alone, just sitting there like this with her knees up. And we didn't say a word to each other, but when I came in, After a few minutes, I was sitting quietly. She looked up and saw me, and she reached out and went like this, with so much joy in her So don't think that joy is to be found through the body. Take care of it, it's a vehicle, but it's it's not the answer. I was noticing, you said, the food is all vegan, and all vegetarian? What was it? All vegan. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty unusual to, you know, have that kind of specialty taken care of. But if you are always dependent on conditions being perfect, whether it's the food you eat, the sounds you hear, the smells you smell, the tastes you taste the touch sensations that you want to feel, if those conditions are what you need to be happy, you're looking in the wrong place. It's not about sense gratification. But the joy of the mind doesn't come, the real joy doesn't really land until you go to the unconditioned. Not depending on things being perfect. here. We have perfect conditions to develop that muscle so that we can learn to be with imperfection in life.